Online banking has become an important part of our lives. Before banking moved online, everyone had to keep their own record of transactions in order to ensure their account was never overdrawn. Now you can log in to your bank's website and see how much money they say is in your account anytime you need to. And online banking has become even more important recently. During the pandemic, most bank branches were closed or restricted to drive-through only, at least for the day-to-day -day transactions, and many restrictions on online banking were lifted. While this feature had been available before, many people discovered you could deposit a check without even needing to leave your home. All you needed to do was take a picture of it through your bank's app. And many activities that you would have needed to do in person before are now available to do online, such as opening a new account. However, all of this interest in online banking has also drawn the interest of criminals. As one might expect, compromised online banking logins are popular on the web because they provide access to bank account numbers and financial information. There's much that can be learned from analyzing someone's spending habits. Unless a person prefers to pay in cash, viewing a person's online accounts would give you information about the type of stores they shop at and when they shop there. This would allow a criminal to mimic someone's behavior more closely and avoid fraud detection. Some people have lost tens of thousands of dollars due to compromised online banking credentials. Even if you don't face a similar loss, any type of compromise is going to take you time to fix. Online banking has made our lives more convenient, but it has also meant that your bank account numbers, your credit card numbers, and a host of other data about you are now available online, protected only by a login form. So with that in mind, on today's show, we will discuss 10 tips for safe online banking. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. According to a 2019 survey by the American Bankers Association, 73% of Americans use online banking regularly, and that includes over 60% of those 65 and over. Online banking has transformed the way we manage our finances, but it also comes with a drawback. When you visit a branch, the teller is able to ask for your ID and verify your identity that way. Yes, it's true someone could make a fake ID with your name in their picture, but that's a more complicated matter. As ATMs became more prevalent, there wasn't a person there to verify your identity, but you did need to have the card and the PIN in order to access your account. This meant that the person would have to get your ATM card or get your card number and create a fake one. And even if you accidentally dropped your card and someone else picked it up, it was almost useless without the PIN. Sure, someone could try to guess it, but usually ATMs would eat your card after three to five incorrect guesses. 
Banking sites will usually make it more complicated to sign in than a lot of other sites, but online banking can usually still be circumvented with relative ease. So that brings us to you. While nothing can be completely foolproof, there are still plenty of steps you can take to make sure that your online banking accounts remain secure. Today, we will discuss 10 steps you can take to help lock down those accounts. The first step is one we discussed in general terms back in Episode 6. Use a strong password. Until something better comes along and develops widespread adoption, the password is going to be the primary gateway for access to your account. At one time, the biggest threat to your password came from a friend guessing what your password was. But now, it's not difficult to set up a password cracking program on a basic computer and still be able to take thousands of guesses per second at your login. If you're still using a short password, or even a single word, any computer is going to be able to guess your password relatively quick. Using unique passwords is also very important, especially for your online banking. If you duplicate your online banking password and use it on a different site, a breach on that site could compromise your online banking account. And a breached password will be tried in many different places, including online banking sites. Even if attackers don't know which bank you use, they'll just hit every bank they can imagine to see if they hit the right one. A strong password will go a long way to protecting your online banking account. If you'd like more information on how to set up a strong password, you can listen to Episode 6 of this podcast. A link to it will be available at the show notes page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 14. However, a password isn't enough to completely protect your account. You also need to back up your password in case it's compromised. One of the best ways to do this is to use two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication, which is often abbreviated TFA, adds a second layer of security to your account. There are multiple ways that two-factor authentication can be implemented. One of the most secure methods is to use a separate device that will either plug into your computer's USB port or connect to your devices via Bluetooth. Your password is used in conjunction with the presence of that device to prove your identity. Another way is to use a code that would be generated by your phone. There's multiple apps that can generate these codes, and you must enter the correct code in addition to your password in order to sign in. However, there's other forms of TFA that are much easier to use and don't require a separate device or an app. The most common one is usually implemented by default at most banks. When you sign in for the first time on a device, you'll be sent a code by phone or by email. Once you enter the correct code, you'll then be able to mark the device as trusted, meaning you won't need to enter a code every time you go to sign in. Some people criticize the text message or email forms of TFA, saying that they aren't as secure as using an app or a separate device. And it's true that there are ways to compromise email or text message TFA. However, using an email or text message is absolutely more secure than not using any form of TFA at all. 
Hopefully, your bank already requires you to get a code when you sign in on a new device. Most banks already do. If your bank doesn't, ask if it's possible to enable it in your settings. As a final note, never give the two-factor authentication code that is sent to your phone or email to anyone else. The only place you should ever enter it is into your bank's website. If someone does manage to steal your password, but is thwarted by the request for a code, they could try to find your phone number, call you, and then pretend to be a bank employee, claiming that this is a method of confirming your identity. Banks will never ask for this code over the phone in order to confirm your identity. If you get a call asking for this code, it is a scam. As we move on to our third step now, I'm going to tell you to do something that might not make your mother happy. Lie. However, in an attempt to keep your mother happy, I'm only going to tell you to do it in one particular instance, when you have to answer security questions. One of the big problems with security questions is that many of the questions ask for answers that are available on the internet. In fact, some public figures have had accounts compromised after people found the answers to their security questions by researching them online. While you might not be as much of a public figure, there are still plenty of ways to discover this information about you, including social media. So if your bank still uses security questions, and the questions you are supposed to answer are things someone could find out on your social media pages, you might want to consider stretching the truth a bit in order to protect your account. If you're using a password manager, you can add the security question and the answer you made up there so that you always have access to it. That way, if you're ever in a situation where you need to answer the security question, you can copy and paste exactly what you entered. But even if someone else is able to do the research to find out what the true answer should be, that person won't be allowed into your account since the answer won't match up with what you provided previously. However, if you do lie, make sure you have your fake answer stored somewhere. I read a story by one security researcher who entered junk data as an answer on his retirement portfolio site. While this was obviously very secure, the investment company later had a password breach and required everyone to reset their password using the answers to the security questions. Now, I would contend that this was probably poor security by the investment company, but nevertheless, it was the way the company decided to handle it. So if you're going to lie on your security questions, make sure you know what that answer is. Our first three steps focused on protecting your account login. Now in step four, we're going to move on to protecting your computer. The best way to start is to use good security software. Security software will protect you from the majority of the threats out there today. Security software isn't perfect, and it won't protect you from everything, but it will get the job done most of the time. Security software will scan everything that comes in to make sure it's safe. It will also continue to monitor your system for anything it may have missed the first time around. And sometimes it will also add additional protections for you such as notifying you when you may be visiting a fake copy of your bank's login page instead of the actual login page. 
Don't make the mistake of thinking you can go online without having good security software. Some people don't use security software because they think they have to pay for it, but that's no longer the case. First, Windows has security software built into the operating system. The level of security it provides is adequate for most personal use, although some tests have indicated that it might not be quite as robust as what other providers offer. But second, many security companies offer a free version of their software. The software that I currently use offers additional features in its paid plan, such as a VPN to protect and anonymize your internet traffic, a password manager to safely store your passwords, and an enhanced firewall to keep unwanted traffic out. However, as far as the basic antivirus function is concerned, there's no difference between what will be stopped by the free version or the paid version. If you'd like to see my recommendations for antivirus software, you can visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com recommendations. Tip number five is to only use private devices. You should never access your online banking from a public computer. Computers at places like the library are often infested with malware, both from intentional action by criminals and unintentional action by those who may access shady sites from those devices. You never know what might have been put on the computer to track you or to steal your information. For example, if you put your information into a computer that's been infected with a keylogger, you could be providing your username and password to a criminal. Even on a private device, you don't want to leave information around that others might be able to find. That brings us to tip number six. Don't save your login details. If you leave information about your account saved on your computer, someone else could get that information if they get access to your computer or if the device it's saved on is stolen. For that reason, you should never save any information about your login, even just your username, on your computer. It's possible to save this information without even realizing it. Sometimes your browser does it automatically. Other times, when you go to sign in, the website may ask you if you want the browser to remember your username. Plus, many browsers will now also act as password managers and offer to save your username and password for you. Don't save this data on your computer. And along the same lines, you also want to make sure that you secure your devices so anything saved on them can't be accessed quickly. Anything that you take out of the house with you, such as your phone, your tablet, or your laptop, should be secured with a PIN, password, fingerprint, or facial recognition. And you should also consider using security even on a desktop computer that stays in your house. If someone breaks into your house and steals it, you want to make it as difficult as possible for them to get anything from it. If you'll be accessing your online banking from your phone, then you'll definitely want to follow tip number eight. Only use the bank's mobile app. While it's certainly possible to find problems in a bank's mobile app, banking apps are heavily tested by the banks in order to locate possible issues before they're released. And even after they're released, most banks encourage people to find problems that they missed 
by offering money if people bring the problem to them to fix it before the problem is announced. However, you do need to be careful when you install a mobile banking app. Some criminals have managed to get fake banking apps listed in the app stores in order to steal online banking credentials. While most are stopped before they're listed, fake apps have occasionally managed to get into these stores. So when you're looking for an app, always look at the number of downloads and at the number of reviews. If either number seems very small, you could definitely be looking at a fake app. And there's another way that you can use your phone to help you protect your banking accounts. That brings us to tip number nine. Sign up for text message alerts. Most banks offer the ability to have your phone alert you when transactions occur on your account. Having your phone alert you when transactions happen can give you the ability to stop fraud immediately before the problem gets out of hand. While fraud departments are always looking for ways that they can improve their detection, no one will be able to recognize a fraudulent transaction quite like you. Now, depending on your habits, you may not want to be notified of every single transaction, but at least set up an alert for transactions that are larger than, say, $50 or $100. If a transaction comes in that you didn't make, you can immediately contact your bank and have the account shut off. At most banks, you can also set up alerts so that you're notified every time someone tries to sign into your account. That way, if it wasn't you signing in, you can immediately go in and change your password. And finally, you always want to be on guard for attempts to steal your online banking information. That brings us to tip number 10. Watch out for phishing attacks. Phishing is conducted by sending an email with a link to a fake login page. The email will often contain a message informing you that you must log in in order for your account to remain secure. Obviously, in this case, the real way to keep your account secure is to not log in, at least not on the fake login page. Sometimes, the phishing emails are very obvious because they come from companies where you don't have an account. For example, I once received a Bank of America phishing email, which I obviously recognized as fake because I've never had a Bank of America account. However, the attackers know that plenty of people do have Bank of America accounts, so they send out these emails to thousands of people, knowing that some of them will have a Bank of America account, and a few of them might bite on the phishing attempt. And you should be especially cautious about phishing if a company has just announced a data breach. Attackers will use this news as an opportunity to craft special attacks. If a bank announces it has lost data, people will be expecting to hear from the bank with information on how to make sure their data is secure. Others will use this opportunity to strike with fake emails in order to steal data. There's also two similar types of attacks that don't use email, smishing and vishing. Smishing is an attack conducted using text messaging, and vishing is conducted using a voice call or a voice message. In both cases, the goal of the attack is still to get you to a fake login page so that you'll hand over your credentials to an attacker. 
These attacks aren't quite as common because they do cost money to set up. But when the target is your banking information, criminals will be willing to spend the money sometimes. So after all of that, you might be wondering if there's a way to guarantee that your online banking information won't be compromised. Unfortunately, there's no way to 100% guarantee that. However, by taking the right steps, you can help ensure that your online banking accounts remain secure. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us, and come back here next week when we will take on another financial topic with a discussion on the safety of credit and debit cards. Until then, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. For more information on today's topic and a transcription of this episode, check out the show notes page, which is linked in the description. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, we would also appreciate it if you could take the time to rate and review the show. It really does help us get noticed. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Please do not take any action on your computer, phone, or other device unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.